Hello everyone and welcome back to BYOB podcast. It is a very special episode of the podcast today and not just because I'm joined by a special man, Jack Hussey. <laughs> you're, you're the special man, not me. You are. Let's have it right. So why, why are we both special today? Uh, we're both special today because it is another guest podcast. Ooh. It's another guest pod this time. Um, it seems a bit... It seems a bit uh, Wrong to say friend of the show, though, doesn't yeah. it? So, yeah. Wife of the show. Yeah, I literally put that in the running order. I thought, literal wife of the show. <laughs> Jack, you can do a proper intro here. No pressure now. Just don't get it wrong. Yeah, don't get it wrong. Well, do you know, look, it is the, it's, it's 2023, so loathe would I be to speak on behalf of my wife. Do you know what I mean? So... Charlotte, you know, come on. Uh, very smooth. Let's, yeah, let's uh, let's be very. I'm not going to say let's be woke about this because that sounds a bit pejorative, doesn't it? So <laughs> let's be let's be very. God, why am I, t- Jack, why am I doing I, this? What, why am I tying myself? You are. You're digging you, your own grave, like all men ever who suddenly realise they're about to speak on behalf of their missus, just suddenly go into stuttering and panic immediately. <laughs> what am I doing? And me, me, stop, stop. A, a, a gob like me. You know how much I can talk and talk and talk. We literally spoke for about 14 hours last week about Fight Club that Purdy, producer Purdy masterfully managed to get down to about an hour and a half. Um, Charlotte, welcome to the show. Let's let's keep Thank this you. professional for now. Hi. Um, <laughs> Tell us, tell us a bit about yourself, Sean. I'll tell you what. Let's let's stop because you know, being my wife, I know that you are an avid lover of cinema. Yeah. Um, but for the, for the people back home watching this, I don't know why they're back home, but yeah, Wherever just go with me are. there. Go with me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first film you ever saw at the cinema, Charlotte? Oh God, what a question. Um. Well. One of the earliest ones was Pocahontas. I remember seeing in Leicester Square, but I oh. feel like maybe I remember that because it was in Leicester Square. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe it wasn't the first film Stand I ever saw out. in the cinema. Yeah, like maybe I just There's remember. There's a good old fine wine or war crime nowadays as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that kind, of, that kind of always was a war crime, but yeah, no, it's pretty great. <laughs> um, what, what, is that when you go back and you think early films? So Pocahontas. Yeah. Where, what, what I'm trying to think, is that like 96, 97, maybe? Yeah, it must have been. And I'm not sure what year um, Matilda came out, but I definitely saw that oh, in the cinema as a, a kid. Love, you know, brilliant. Obviously such a classic. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's that kind of that era. But because I'm thinking, you know, I think Jack said that he saw The Lion King in the cinema and I definitely didn't. I definitely had that on VHS. So okay. like, I don't know. Oh, don't start age shaming yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you date a younger model. But no, it's... uh up this old man. <laughs> well, how many minutes are we in? Three and I Amazing. started rinsing you. Can I, um, but, can I quickly yeah. ask, where do you stand on the greatest Disney song of all time uh, question? Disney song. See, Disney song's different than Disney film, isn't it? Like, yeah, obviously yeah, my favourite, my favourite, I don't know why it's obvious, but my favourite Disney film is Beauty and the Beast, but my favourite song, I don't know, it could be, I know you're a big fan of the Pocahontas ones, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Paint with the Colours of the Wind, I think is an absolute belter. Yeah, it is a real classic, love it. Um, 
God, there's so many. All the Aladdin ones are so good and just can't wait to be king. And, you know, oh my yeah. God, there's so many good ones, aren't there? Obviously, Beauty and the Beast, like Gaston is is a 10 out of 10 song. Yeah, so. do, do, we, do we include Pixar here? Because Coco, there's some absolute oh, bangers yeah. in Coco as well. Yeah, yeah. What, what a film. I hope you do that on the pod one day, even though it's not very old, just do it. <laughs> yeah, and there's a song in Tangled as well. I think that's a Pixar, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it, you know what? Age it, it, hang on, isn't Tangled Tangled's a DreamWorks? Oh, no, that think, is mate. a DreamWorks, you're right. All right, it's oh, Rapunzel, is it? It's it? technically not a Disney princess. Think, look, right, I'm gonna hang on, I'm just gonna Google that while you two carry on chatting. No, I, I think he might I, be right. Either way, Tangled is great, hell of a film, absolute belter of a film. <laughs> I, I think it's a Disney. No, I think it is a Disney. The, yeah. This guy's slandering out here. Yeah, I don't Untangled. think it's works. Here we go. Tangled is a Disney film. Well done, Ben. There so you, you are. I you, am the you uh, have little faith. I am the. Have you uh, seen it, Jack? I, of I have a news. feeling that you said that because you haven't seen it. I have seen it. I have oh, seen have. it. I think I was a bit old mm. for Tangled for it to really hit me as a kind of a a childhood one. But an interesting fact about Tangled. The music, you, I think you said there were some bangers in Tangled, Ben. <clears throat> the music was actually by Alan Menken, who did the music for Beauty and the Beast and for Pocahontas. There you go. So it all tracks. It all tracks. It's all making <laughs> Man, sense. Alan Menken, <laughs> all Alan Menken the absolute boy. It all makes sense. Shut up. Yeah, the questions I, I, I was desperate to ask you. In your, yeah. and, and forgive me if this is too personal, but in your relationship, <laughs> who's the one dragging who to the cinema? I would say Jack definitely leads the charge. Like he's definitely like, right. Are we, well, he actually goes, I'm going to the cinema without you. It's like a reverse psychology thing <laughs> that he does to me. And I'm like, Hey, why aren't which, I? Which generally leads to, to Charlotte saying, you know, that Simpsons episode uh, when they go to pick up grandpa Simpson from the retirement yeah, home and I they just bring draw? out the random old woman. <laughs> yeah. I do it in that voice always, but, um, can I come to me? <laughs> So, no, do you, exactly. so do you find yourself getting to that situation where Jack's like, well, I'm going. And then you're like, oh, fine, I'm coming. No, no, I'm always up for it. This is the thing. Like okay. very much the cinema <clears throat> is one of the uh, the holy pillars of our relationship, along with like <laughs> football and things like that. And, and Beauty and the Beast. Probably, and Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that gets its own pillar. It's not to do with cinema. It's, it's really a specific pillar. <laughs> but no, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> cinema is definitely one of yeah the holy the holy pillars. So uh, we 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 both love the cinema, but I would say Jack definitely is the one who's like, this is on tonight. Should we go see it? Type thing. In in that case, but, so go on, Jack. Oh, oh, well, I was just gonna say you make out like I'm some sort of cinema tyrant here, Charlotte. <laughs> I, you know, uh, uh, cinema also, tyrant. I hope you, that's you, all one word. If not, it should be cinema tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that. I'll get that on a T-shirt. There you go. There's the first bit of BYOB merch. Um, but, but you are a, you are a lover of the cinema, though. Yeah, of you know, course. like you say, that is yeah. one of our one of our things. I think it's just it's more that. No, I'm not. I'm not being time, dragged not, against my will. No, I really enjoy. You're not it. fully in tune with like everything that's coming out. You're kind of like no. I'll, I'll say. Should we go and watch that film that we saw a trailer of like two months ago and you said looked really good and you're like, which one? And I'll be like, yeah. here's the trailer again. You're like, oh yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah and I always go and forget that. the name, like even if I've already seen it. Like sometimes oh, you'll say like, oh, I loved them in this film. And I'm like, what film was that? And you're like, that one. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. you have, so this will be the first time we've ever done this on the pod, but maybe mm-hmm. you can tag team in on the films that you've seen at the cinema this week. So we saw um, Anatomy of a Fall, which is 
It's a it, it's a it's a hotly tipped um, French film. I think it's a French film. It's it's a pretty sort of pan European um, collaboration, but I think you would probably put it down as a French film. Um, yeah. Written and directed by Justin Trier. Um, it's been tipped to potentially make a bit of a stir at the Oscars. And I would say up front, um, I wouldn't be overly surprised to see it get a, a few sneaky um, Oscars here what, and there. What because oof, I don't know, maybe maybe some of the actors. I think Sandra Sandra Hula, um, who plays the like the, the main character, is is very very strong in it. Um, Mainly her, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, maybe, maybe the script, because the, the script is some of the the some of the best writing I've seen on screen for a very, very long time. Um, a, a quick synopsis of the film: like I say, you've got uh, Sandra, who is a writer uh, living out in Grenoble <laughs> near the Alps in France. This snowy, kind of mountainous, picturesque location. They've got this like little wooden lodge. You see Sandra, who is this acclaimed author? She's being interviewed by a by a student journalist. Um, it's very kind of back forward, very, you know, friendly. Sandra doesn't really want to give away much about herself. Instead, she's kind of batting off questions, putting them back onto the interviewer. You get the you get the feeling that she's pretty smart, pretty dry, but a pretty kind of guarded, you know. It's a very smart, very sort of tough customer, if you like. Um, halfway through this interview, you start to hear, which has been absolute, and Charlotte will attest to this, has been absolutely stuck in my head ever since, <laughs> a full steel drum um, cover of 50 Cent's PIMP booming through the booming through the ceiling, coming all throughout the house. And the interviewer looks to, to, to Sandra as if to say, like, what's going on and Sandra just doesn't really acknowledge it continues talking they still keep trying to get this interview underway even though there's this farcical situation developing where this music is booming through the house nobody really addresses it the music stops and then the tune starts again even louder this time and Sandra eventually comes around to telling the journalist that's my husband you know I think he's probably just trying to annoy me he's doing some you know he's doing some renovations in the attic they get to a point when they realise that the interview can no longer continue because the music keeps increasing in loudness, increasing in volume. So the journalist leaves. Um, the, the, the son, um, so the, 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 the husband is Samuel. Samuel, who is doing this, this work up in the attic. We don't see him on screen at all at any point yet. Um, so Sandra is kind of yeah, frustrated in the house. Their young son, Daniel, I believe he's called, who is a, a visually impaired, I don't think, he's, don't think he's fully blind, but a visually impaired son, goes out for a walk with his dog because, um, you know, he just, he wants to leave the house for reasons that are revealed later on in the film. Generally, when he knows his parents are about to argue, he'll go for a walk. It's not really a spoiler. Um, so he, he senses that something's going to go awry at this point. So we leave the house. We follow Daniel doing this walk through the Alps, very picturesque. Very as European films tend to to be, it's shot beautifully. There isn't really much point to it, you would think, 
Do you know what I mean? You're just seeing this kind of this kid going for a walk with his dog, then returns back home and finds the bloodied body of his father lying outside the house. Um, and thus ensues from this point a criminal investigation as to how this occurred. <coughs> Did he jump? Did he or was he pushed? Um and so as we were as we were sort of talking about before uh we started recording, essentially you would have like the first half of this film is based around the setup of this story. It's based around the the the, the initial police investigations. And the second half of the film is all based in the courtroom where Sandra is, they, they believe there's enough evidence there to suggest that Sandra may have murdered her husband, Samuel. Um, and what we see on screen after this is the courtroom, which there's a very clever use of flashbacks um, within this, within the courtroom sequences. Um, it, they, there's, there's one scene in particular where there is a there's a recording basically one of the one of the one of the top pieces of evidence that that the the prosecution has is this recording this mp3 that they found on the victim's laptop um and this this doesn't really count as a spoiler but what what you, what you see is the the recording that has been made because the 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 husband is himself a struggling author he's a man now in his 40s who has seemingly allowed his wife to chase her ambition of being an author and reading between the lines, it's because she's better than him. He knows it, she knows it. So they're kind of like, look, I'll look after the kid. You bring home the bacon because you're a really hot shit author. I'm a kind of aspirational author. Um, but what you see is uh, over the course of this one particular recording is uh, they're his frustrations come to the fore as a result of this. Um, and it, it, it very well captures, the, I, I focus in on this scene in particular because it very well captures the, the essence of the film. And the essence of the film being essentially a dissection of people's lives, a dissection of our relationships, the way in which no one person is binary, right? And that, that they, do, they do that in a very, I would say, in a, in a very obvious sense in the fact that Sandra is... <laughs> bisexual um and there's there's many references made to that problematically so from the prosecution and such and that plays into the story um but also just in a in a in a in a less obvious sense than that that we can one day be in a great place and one day be in a shitty place and the people that we tend to take that out on are those closest to us so when for example you're telling somebody very close to you that you hate them and you wish all these terrible things happened to them when that's presented in a clinical courtroom setting that can seem very shocking but for anybody that's ever been in a relationship for a, a, a prolonged amount of time, any form of relationship, be it romantic or be it just as friends, <clears throat> we all know that there's a certain monster in all of us that we only show to certain people within our lives. And when that is stripped of all context, um, it can be played with and it can be manipulated. However, at the same time, it also doesn't let us off the hook. It means that we should, in turn... I guess have a look at our own monster, if you like, um, for 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 one of a less kind of you know, for one of a, a, another analogy, I guess. Um, and 
the film, you know, it is, it is, I mean, if I had one criticism of the film is I think that, and not everybody would agree as, as you know, we heard as we were leaving the cinema, I kind of feel that the film is tied up in a much neater fashion than I thought it would be. And I won't, I won't say either way. Um, but to me, the film isn't really about the court case. Um, the, the son Daniel in one part of this quite uh, eloquently says, really a court case isn't about how something happened. It's about why something happened. And what we're really, as European films tend to do, um, I think they have a real strong knack of really getting into the psyche of people and the psyche of certain situations. Um, and Anatomy of a Fall is just, it's a brilliant dissection, like I say, of relationships, what motivates us, what makes us angry, what makes us hate, but also what fills us with regret, why we do things that we do, why we speak to people the way that we do and act the way that we do. Um, sometimes there isn't really a rhyme or reason for that other than that we just need to vent to somebody. And it, it deals with all of these type of films and it deals with them brilliantly i think it's it's a two and a half hour long film but it as we were saying versus the ballad of songbirds and snakes this it flies by it didn't feel like a long film at all you're completely captivated and like i say sandra hula in particular is absolutely amazing um and i think this film the way it's written it's it's some of honestly some of the best writing i've seen on screen in years it's absolutely astounding in places um and just really like i say really captures so many of the minutiae of of relationships and of people that you can see yourself reflected on screen in many different moments and it makes you question things about yourself and that's not just from one particular character i think many of the characters perhaps even are embodiments of different facets of any one person in particular. What, what, um, were the, what were the kind of, from the exit reviews that you could kind of overhear, what were the um, slightly less positive takes, I suppose? What what would people I think so, have as a, a problem? I think a lot of people were somewhat... Um, perhaps debating the outcome of the trial, which we won't right, go into okay. here, but I think that was one of the kind of, that, I think, wouldn't you say, Shah, that was the kind of main thing people were talking about? Yeah, obviously, um, I don't want to spoil it, but um, essentially, as we know, she's been accused of this thing. And at the end, people were debating whether she did or didn't do it. And I think overall, this film, like you say, like a lot of French films in particular, the point is almost not whether she did or didn't do it. It's just how things can seem in the court. That's how it's being presented. Like, you'll remember the name of the film. Like I say, I'm bad with film names, but we watched a French film once. Is it The Night of the 13th, I think it was, Yes, it? see, he knows before I've even said. Night of the 12th, The <laughs> Night of the 12th. He knows the point I'm going to make. It's um, It was a brilliant film, actually. It was, uh, it was a police investigation uh, about a murder of, of a young woman and... The, the film ends abruptly without an answer. And at first I was like, what? How can the film end there? That's so frustrating. We don't have a conclusion. And then when you actually think about it, it's like, actually, that's often the reality with a criminal investigation is you don't have it neatly wrapped up at the end. There isn't necessarily 
a, yeah. an answer that gets found. And so when you think about it in those terms, in in it's quite a realistic analogy for how these things often go. It was like, whoa, actually, that's amazing. And it kind of reminded me of this film here, Anatomy of a Fool, where it's like, the point is not whether she did or didn't do it. It's how things can appear and also how awful your life and your actions seem when under the microscope in, in a courtroom and things you said, choices you made can seem awful out of context. Yeah, I, I remember after I finished After Sun, mm. I came away and I was I, I was really frustrated that there wasn't more definitive yeah. kind of like I came away and I was like, why has it left it there? And then the longer that, the more time that passed after I watched the film, the more I was like, that was perfect. It needed to stay like that. Yeah. And I think it can kind of go one way the time. other, can't it? Sometimes yeah, sort of and that's why After Sun does yeah, feel yeah, kind of European, I think. Sorry. Um, After yeah, Sun does no, no, feel yeah. have that European feel because it is very much the same sort of thing, like a moment in time, a snapshot into somebody's life. A lot of French, particularly films, but European films do that, where it's like there's not a beginning, middle and end. This is just they're presenting part of a story. Like this is just the story and it ends almost wherever the dot lands. But... It doesn't really matter. It just, <laughs> it's like they decide to end it when they want to end it, not the conclusion of the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like very kind of, um, it feels very deliberate, doesn't it? It's kind of, this is when I'm calling it. So yeah. that's that. And I don't care if you're unfulfilled. <laughs> but yeah. actually over the course of time, it always tends to feel like that they're, they're, they're kind of, it, 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 it's sensical rather than editorially needing to scratch some sort of itch that an audience might have. Um, I feel like now we might be sort of at the perfect time to get stuck into. Oh, actually, we just need to know your popcorns for that one, Jack and Char. It's five out of five for me. Wow. Okay, this is what I've got to go and see. Um, well, <laughs> I have a confession. Here comes the disclaimer, the confession that I... <laughs> May have been slightly asleep at some moments of it. Had a so couple, I don't. Had a couple of snoozes. That's we, fine. we did. We did watch the late show. To be fair, it's two and a half hours long, and I think we watched the one that started about eight forty or so. Anything didn't that we, starts so. later than eight pm, I'm I'm a sleep risk. <laughs> yeah, sleep risk. You just suddenly hear the. Yeah, no, I've got to. I've got to be a six forty-five, seven thirty kind of start time. <laughs> no, but the thing is, eight forty-five means you're not kicking off really after trailers until post nine o'clock. That's risky. Dark yeah. room, kind of when you're having to read subtitles as well. I think. You yes, get a bit, exactly. And I it was, you, you know, it was heavy with the courtroom drama and all of this stuff. Nevertheless, that was only a couple of moments. I really, really enjoyed the film. In terms of popcorn, I'd probably say four and a half. Do you wow. do halves? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You yeah, can get a half-size popcorn. Ben, ben, did, ben did a 0.75 the other day, so, you know, like... Wow. It's <laughs> really fractional popcorn. It's, just like, it's, like, a, it's, just a, it's like three popcorns and a kernel. Yeah, um, it's just one of those one of those burny, no, one of those not popped bits, and you're like, Ugh, The ones that ruin your teeth. That? The way you generally yeah. think like that I, your tooth here. The ones that I crunch on in the cinema and Charlotte looks at me like she's about to smack me in the face. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, you're, yeah. like you're an animal feeding from a trough. Just yeah. Well, effectively, own. I mean, you, you've, you've had dinner with me before then. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just wanted to, before we went into the film, I did just want to give a quick shout out to at Hacker CPS, Ooh, who oh. gave us a great comment yesterday off the back of our Fight Club pod, um, who said, enjoyed this talk. 
The thing about masculinity dash belonging dash identity can be boiled down to the yin yang theory that everybody's search for something to make themselves whole gives everything meaning. With Fight Club, they search to make themselves whole by filling the hole with masculinity. But the way to do that um, was with Marla. So if we're not beings looking to be loved and belong, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then he also said, does this beg the question that this is actually a terribly realistic romantic comedy? Very good that was point. A really, Very good I really point. enjoyed that, actually. Yeah. And you know what? There's one other, isn't there? from Zach um, that maybe we can get into next week but thanks so much Zach for getting in touch really really appreciate it and thanks to everyone who left some really nice comments both on social media and the, on the fight again, again I've got to say look, it's not even a humble brag it's an out and out brag we keep breaking our own records mate it was that after Goodwill Hunting um, Fight Club went on to be our most successful pod didn't yeah, it on opening day which is really nice and I think that's I mean obviously that is it probably helps it's one of our favorite ever films um and that it's so divisive but also because people just uh, uh keep coming back which is really really nice so thanks everyone for listening and for for getting in touch um should we go into charlotte's blockbuster that she has brought with her let's do it <laughs> charlotte let's what are it. you bringing with you today i am bringing the parent trap what a shout which which one which parent yeah. trap are you bringing charlotte we need to have some uh, the, uh, specificity here yes. is that a word yeah let's go with it sort of yeah it's uh the <laughs> the 1998 Lindsay lohan remake not the 60s one i have not seen no, I haven't seen oh, that either. Okay, that's it good. Pop that's up good. On Disney. I watched the sixties one. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll sit this <laughs> Very one. Very different podcast. <laughs> but we were. I, I saw that pop up on Disney after I watched it. After I watched the nineties one, yeah. and I was like, Nah, probably went down there. <laughs> probably went down that far back. Probably years. crap. Um, so usually, what we would do CBA. is we would get people to spoil the film in six seconds. But mm. on our guest episodes. We are going to give you 60 seconds to basically tell us why you love this film and Ooh. why it is you chose oh. it. So um, I have to warn you in advance, Jack Gallagher did a very good job on Rocky. So oh, I'm not going to do a good job. Oh, my God. But, but can okay, you tell that's us why this was the film that you chose? I'll put 60 seconds on the clock. Ready? <laughs> yes. Three, two, one. Off you go. This film is uh, massively just a big warm hug. It's a lot of fun. It kind of hits all the right notes. It's it's very heartwarming. Um, it's it's one that like I visited a lot in my childhood. Like I I saw it in the cinema myself when I was about nine. But then it was one of those films that uh, my sister, who, who's eight years younger than me, it became one of her obsessive loop films that she, <laughs> that she ended up watching. Absolutely. So I've probably seen it, uh, you know, roughly three hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, I have a lot of affection for the film. I pretty much know it beat for beat and uh, it, it doesn't get old, to be honest with you. It's very comforting and good fun. And, you know, I don't think it's high art or anything, but it's it's like just a really brilliant classic 90s type film. Yeah, that is um, a... Do you know what? You don't even need the four minute. That's absolute perfection. <laughs> Done it in like done it in less than made a mockery of Jack and I every week, fired around for yeah. sixty seconds. That's just sort of absolutely perfect. Well, it's, it's so hard true. to do the plot though, isn't it? Like to sum up the whole plot, you you don't know which bits to kind of go into and not. Yeah, so well, the, the minute challenge is tough. Do you know what's really interesting there? You said about your sister. My sister was obsessed mm. with Parent Trap. Yeah. And I sat to watch this the other night 
and I was with my folks, but also my brother and his kids. So we had like three generations of people sat watching it and everyone was absolutely mesmerised. It's quite yeah. rare isn't it, to have a film that does that, that can grab you at any point in life and just have you completely taken totally. in. Totally. It was one of those ones that in my family, um, everyone enjoyed it. My parents enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. Obviously, my sister, yeah, then... I actually quite enjoyed when that was on rotation with her when you know when little kids get really obsessed and they watch the same film over and over and yeah, over yeah the parent trap was definitely one of those for her and I enjoyed that phase a lot more than like when it was Annie for example than I wanted to get myself <laughs> oh my God. when yeah, she was obsessed with Annie that was God, not the thing I hate Annie. But yeah I mean that was a really hard year <laughs> yeah that's difficult but- I remember with my sister, it was she got obsessed with Christina Millian's song AM to PM and played that for like six months straight. And then we're just sort of like, is that somebody hit the yeah, lights? That is so it. we can make a day and yeah. night. Oh my God, I'm PTSD now. I just shuddered. Not, you've got a wonderful voice, but my God, like just can't take myself back to that dark place. But the parent no. trap. Will she, be, will she be listening? Oh yeah, right she will. And she'll hate me for this. But the, the parent <laughs> trap phase was much better. I've, I've massively yeah. preferred the parent trap phase. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a great film. It's a lot of fun, and um, it's got a lot of those notes. Um, we were talking about this actually when we were watching it. How we think that they were kind of inspired a little bit by Home Alone with all the pranks and things like that. And I also think because it's obviously a film about two girls, I think they really did well to kind of make it appeal to to boys as well um, through the kind of tomboyish nature of the girls, their interests are things like fencing and poker and, and making Look, making you're getting mischief. ahead of yourself here, Sha. We've got to have something to talk about in the rest of the pod, all right? Like, we just wanted an intro, right? Yeah. We're going to get into all this. No, yeah. that's fair. Well, um, let, me, let me start off then with, this sounds like a super like layered, pathetically deep question, but just take it at face value. What is the film about to you? Um, I think it's about family relationships it's about that kind of dream for di- for the di- children of divorce of of bringing your family back together and you know that family unit type thing it's just it's about family i suppose fundamentally at heart but um you know it's it's a very sweet idea it's it's almost like constructed by a child because you know it's quite fanciful um, but the film's not exactly rooted in reality. Like I find it hard to imagine that parents would agree to just take a sibling each and never see the other one ever again. This is so. magnificent, isn't it? Like the, the, uh-huh. Jack, Jack, I'll let you be be the kind of like you can bring us down because you you sort of text me saying like we probably should talk about how messed up the parents are. <laughs> I mean, what are they doing? Like this this film, you know how the, the, there's the there's the dark cut of Mrs. Doubtfire that exists on YouTube where they've turned it into a horror yeah, movie, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like you could make a really strong case for the parent trap. You could make, if you change the music and all that type of thing, <laughs> right? You definitely could turn the... It's like tubular bells playing while they're in the little shack putting the picture together. horrific abuse from these parents like number one that you would like decide yourself as a parent oh well I won't bother seeing the other one because I've got another one here they look the and, same they look the same they're the exactly. same and, and deny them the chance to meet their mother or father and they're twin they're, they're identical to, I mean it's just the whole the, the, the whole premise of it is borderline evil. <laughs> well, I don't, what, what was the actual reasoning that we had that basically they 
just they'd got together too quickly Which can be essentially they? their, they their like, lives were in different places and um with the divorce they they never wanted to see each other again it sounds like they had a very heated explosive breakup to their marriage and they just were like right that's it we don't want to see each other ever again you take that one i'll take that one that's the end we never have to see each other i don't actually want to even consider what that conversation goes like well you yeah. have that one then and i'll take this one over here cheers <laughs> off you yeah. Pop. yeah jump no, on it's a true. plane I mean, I'm going to skip massively ahead there, but just as I mentioned playing, how crazy was it at the end hearing like, did you know you can get Concord in half the time? I was like, not anymore. I know. Yeah. That's mad. one of those things as well. Um, that's a moment in time as well. Like even that, like how I was talking about my younger sister, she's eight years younger. She has no memory of Concords flying over, um, which was something that I was talking to her about one time and saying like, it was this thing, it was this deafening thing that everyone stopped and looked up for like 10 yeah, seconds while a Concorde yeah. ripped, screamed its way through the sky. It's like a specific sound. Your, your, your grandfather flew on a Concorde, didn't he, Shah? Yeah. yeah. It, like, it's such a specific sort of, mo- like you said, a specific moment, isn't it? Because it only existed for a very finite period of life. But yeah. it had a specific sound. I remember everyone just be like, oh, look, Concorde. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, like, you couldn't really not stop and look at it because they were impressive, but also it was so loud. It was like, you couldn't really ignore it. So, like, such a weird reference. It really jumped out at me at the end. I was like, oh, my God, Concord. Yeah, of course. Um, shall we mm. uh, quickly just touch on something else that you said? You said that the, the film, like, really, it's like a hug. It captures you. I was, I was... Listening to an interview with Lisa Ann Walter, I think that's her name, who plays Jessie. Mm. Yeah. And she was saying that people want to talk to her about it all the time still. One, because she has not changed a bit. She looks exactly the same. Like, she looks yeah. incredible. And <laughs> if I saw her in the street, I'd be like, oh, my God, Jessie. In, like, in exactly the same way that, that Hallie or Annie would look to her. Um, but she said that it, it makes people feel safe. So oh, I wonder yeah. why that is. I wonder what it. What is the the same? Maybe it's because the it's through the lens of a kid, like you said. It's through that very kind of like optimistic. Everything will be all right in the end if you want it bad enough, kind of thing. Yeah, mm. and I think it kind of like I think probably all people except for actual twins had the fantasy of having an identical twin and the kind of mischief you could get up to. Um, and switching places and these kind of things. And obviously that film probably sparked even more of that, but I think that was always a thing. And when I saw identical twins at school, they were up to that kind of stuff. Like we had some boys in the older year than me and they'd, they'd take each other's lessons or whatever. It's low key, obviously it's not quite, not quite on the scale. <laughs> they really? Yeah, yeah. Not, so not quite on the... Hatch- That's so cool. Not quite on the um, Hanny and, Hallie and Annie uh, hatching That's fan amazing. Level. Imagine but doing yeah, I mean, that. You can get into mischief as identical twins for sure, especially... Um, when you're not together I think that's the thing right next to each other that was the funny thing about at that point in the film where they're um, trying to trick their parents again and they're both together and then they're both really looking and they're like this one's Hallie I'm positive and it's like well I hope you're right but it's like (laughs) I think it's much easier to fool you when they're separate although obviously as we see in the film um, I would say Hallie is much better at being Annie than Annie is at being Hallie. I would say, like, Annie is messing that up, like, straight away. Ah, uh, see, this is this is something I'm desperate to get into. I, I'm going to put an, an asterisk on that very quickly. And I've, <laughs> Jack, one thing, it's a slight kind of veer off, Oreos and peanut butter, as a man that's <laughs> no longer doing refined sugar. 
<laughs> is that one that could be a guilty pleasure for you? I, I would say so. I, do you know? Like, I, I tell you what is a uh, is a good if you, if you if you're ever doing a keto diet, kids. Right? If you ever want to give something a go, kids. a bit of like seventy percent plus. So maybe an eighty five percent dark chocolate, Lint, ideally. Mm. Yeah, with people. Well, no, there's a lot of lead in lint, mate. Oh, you really? Need to find more, yeah. Well, you can. Yeah. yeah, you just have to like Montezumas, control how much Montezumas. you have. You can have lint, just square. not like five squares. Yeah, one square is fine. But it's the perfect size right. square for peanut butter. Mm. Exactly. Put peanut butter on it, and you got yourself like a little kind of healthy-ish. Recent. It is healthy. Dark chocolate's healthy. Peanut butter's healthy if you eat it in the right quantities and ways. Bit of nice little uh, like keto-friendly. Reese's Pieces. Yeah, that's a very good I'm going to test your knowledge of this. Do you know which peanut butter she has? Skippy? It is indeed Skippy. And I I wondered straight away, I was like, "Mm, not sure that's the correct peanut butter to go to for an Oreo. Well, this is the thing, but also, did it not stick out to you? In that whole um, interaction with him, I found it really amusing that... Annie allegedly didn't know who Leonardo DiCaprio was from that poster, but then she had Oreos or she knew what Oreos were, um, yeah, even though yeah. they definitely were not in the UK at that point, probably in for another 10 years. Um, but I mean, you know, she's she's a rich gal. Maybe she was well-traveled in America and brought them back. So fair enough. But uh, yeah. it did just jar me slightly. I was like, you didn't have Oreos in 1998 in the UK. Absurd. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put this as a note for us to get into on Annie and Hallie in terms of like what they're what they're both like and the things that it kind of does or doesn't say about them. But I yeah. want to go back as well to talk about the pranks because you said about Home Alone. Mm. Did this for for both of you? Did you get that that feeling at the beginning when the, all the pranks happened? You were like, oh my god, I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait to watch yeah, that film definitely. again. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's so fun and it and you know, obviously it's just a snapshot of the. It's just kind of this this escalating thing that happens as they're starting to prank each other and it gets, you know, worse and worse. Um, it's not the whole film, but then there is this mischievous streak throughout the whole film, isn't it? Where they are constantly up to no good. They're constantly tricking people or whatever it is. So yeah, but no, it definitely made me excited for Christmas and uh, it's just a lot of fun, isn't it? To watch that stuff play out on screen. I think that with the, like, like you were saying there, Shark, cause it was, it was, it was a good point that you raised that, while we were watching it, that they'd clearly been influenced by Home Alone with that. Yeah. Um, and as you were sort of t- touching on at the top, it widened the appeal of the film because what should be, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a caveman, whatever, you know, <laughs> what should be, as we would say, Cave have said at least in, in 1998, was a, a quite girly film. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's two young girls, Lindsay Lohan, Disney. You'd kind of think, oh, is this a princess movie? But what it actually did is really widen the appeal to everybody, to boys and to girls and, you know, any adults that are watching. But what it really made me think as well is that how we see a lot of people at the moment get very angry about the fact that Netflix uses its viewing data to have a bearing on its on its creative choices. Mm. So we see a lot of people watch this film, but they turn off at this point and other people tune into this film at this point because they want to watch this and so they kind of mesh all these ideas together so a lot of netflix's own productions people often say are data-led productions Mm. they have looked at the viewing habits of their different you know demographics and what have you and 
provide content that should tick some of those boxes. Um, but this sort of goes to show you that that stuff's always happened, right? We've always had focus groups. We've always had probably some kind of box office data that has led to these decisions being made. And you would probably have to say that the parent trap is a very, very clear example of that because that whole prank situation, right? It is it is straight out of Home Alone. It's kids with engineering degrees, isn't it? <laughs> like making something that seems so fantastic or so like OTT, but you completely give it a pass because it's so fun. Yeah. yeah it's, like you, you're not going to sit there being like, oh, they couldn't build that. Where did they get all the materials? How did they get the on the roof? They're not that strong. Yeah. I was going to go up to yeah. like, how are four small girls managed to get those beds onto the roof somehow nailed in? Yeah, and also, I'm happy to why do they reality. have so much money to play poker with? Yeah. Oh my god, I know. Yeah, it's so true. Some of the stuff they're putting into the middle. I was like, imagine if you went home without that. Like your parents were like, what happened to that five thousand pounds that I gave you? Yeah, they were absolute ballers, weren't they? I mean, crazy. a lot of these kids. This did seem like a, a baller camp, though, didn't it? Like proper yeah. elite, awful children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just on that, I mean, while we're talking about the, the pranks and stuff, one of the things that jumped out at me straight away is this film, like, it, it is so quick. Mm. It, it jumps between scenarios really quickly without ever feeling like you don't know what's going on. Because I understand it's kind of, like, aimed towards children with that family feel to it that anyone mm. could watch it, but it's definitely, it's through the lens of Annie and Hallie. Mm-hmm. But it just jumped out on me how you just go from, okay, they're turning up to a camp, then they've had this reveal and realisation, then going to London, California, then the next reveal, then you go to the, the wedding venue, then you have the camping trip, then you have the kind of crescendo. But so much happens so quickly, but you don't really realize that you haven't had a chance to stop to get to know the characters because you're sort of doing it the whole way through the film you're you're kind of just learning as you go and characters just kind of popped in martin's just thrown in her granddad's just thrown in jesse's just thrown in meredith is just thrown in as well and you're just kind of like oh yeah it was it all feels very natural and like there's a really easy flow to it but it was only when i was watching it this time around i was like so much happens in this film and it's so quick Mar- like, things are happening all the time yeah i think martin and jesse are uh mvps <laughs> yeah i honestly they're so good they provide so is- much comedy like they're honestly when he just so brilliant. The speedos oh, oh my god <gasps> martin what are you doing <laughs> Yeah, he's, I mean, you he's brilliant. You watched this film 3,000 times, can't you? <laughs> Completely, yeah. Beat for beat, know the whole thing. And it's one of those ones where, like, when somebody misquotes it, you, like, wince. Because <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. Exactly you, you like, right. know it too well and they've just not quite said it exactly right. And you're like, that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't know whether to say it and be an arsehole. Yeah, like, exactly. You're like, right. that wasn't it. Um, let's go on to Annie and Hallie. Mm. So... In, in terms of their characters, firstly, I will chuck this one to you. Who would you rather be? Ooh, who would I rather be? Wait, sorry, are you going to Jack first? Either or. <laughs> I mean, the vineyard seals it for me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like... <laughs> Just a drunk 11-year-old. Exactly. <laughs> well, or at least kind of now with the, with, the, with the adult kind of air of hindsight, knowing that 
sooner or later you're gonna you're gonna inherit a, a vineyard <laughs> in Napa Valley. Oh, great point. Bring it on. Bring it on. Great. They were point. always kind of like um, the personification of the UK versus USA. I found like um, Annie. Yeah. Annie is polite and proper and a bit more reserved. And, you know, they're both intelligent and, you know, cheeky and mischievous and precocious and whatever. But like Annie's definitely the the kind of more serious, mature one. And Hallie is sort of the brash, chatty one with a massive appetite. America. No, but like, <laughs> you know, they're both kind of like maybe the product of growing up in those different countries. That's maybe where those differences have come from. Or also, you know, obviously identical twins are still individual people. They're not, even if they'd grown up side by side, they would not have an identical personality, you know, identical twins are different people, but yeah, it's just interesting seeing those differences. But I did think it was like quite stereotypical that um, Annie is so ladylike and and polite and proper and, and obviously well-spoken, but that's more geographical than anything else. Yeah. I, I found it really interesting watching interviews of Lindsay Lohan this, this week as her as an 11 year old. And she actually knows one where that she did fairly recently where she said she always wanted to be Annie because oh. Hallie was too close to her. Right. Like, Annie, uh, Hallie was outgoing and quite vivacious and was quite happy to be chatty and out there. And Annie was a lot more reserved and calm and measured. And she said that she wished she was more like that. No. Um, which I, th- I thought that was really fascinating mm. because I, I well, it's, think it's, it's quite it's quite uh, sad really considering you know where Lindsay Lohan's life went after this point isn't it well should we touch on that now because I've got that in the running order I, I, I it's one of the things that struck me really hard this week watching this was I was like it is so unfair what happened to her mm. you know and I, I remember watching it in real time um, in the same way that we would have watched Britney Spears yeah. shaving her head or Paris Hilton go through everything that she went through. And that kind of era of celebrity, like I now look at it and I'm like, that was genuinely hideous. It was, it it was, was so hideous. It was just such a, it was a cruel and brutal time for the paparazzi. Not that they're exactly fine now, they're not, but the 90s and extended into the noughties was brutal absolutely brutal for like, well you felt that didn't we Shark, when we were watching the beckham documentary yeah again. like you know there was how horrible they were to him brutal. Like, you know and i think people grim. people don't have much sympathy because they're like well they're famous this is what you get and it's like i don't think anyone though is is preparing them for for what that level of scrutiny is like and how you any one little thing you do is going to get blown up and and like taken completely out of proportion and plastered all over the media and how isolating and crap that would feel you know I think it's no wonder that so many particularly child stars because they're younger and less mature and and more vulnerable but how they have struggles as they get a little bit older I think it's it's a tough world or it definitely was in the noughties very very brutal I don't think the, I just don't think that any human being is equipped with the tools to deal with that level of intense scrutiny and pressure. You can't even imagine the level of anxiety. Like I get anxious sometimes if I like post an Instagram story and then, (laughs) and then, and then you think like, what? That level of, of anxiety, knowing everyone knows this like intimate detail about you or saw this picture of you or whatever it is, it's just everywhere you go, people are thinking and making judgments. And people did make a lot of judgments about Lindsay Lohan at the time. People were scathing about her, even though she was very young 
actress who was sort of trying to, you know, she yes, she fell into some trouble for sure. But, you know, a lot of young people do and they don't have the world's gaze on them. <clears throat> yeah, and, and, and looking at every single mistake that you potentially mm. make and magnifying it times a thousand. I think yeah. one of the things that jumped out at me was that every interview that I watched, so it was, whether it was Dennis Quaid, there was a lovely interview of Natasha Richardson at the time who said some of the quotes within it were amazing. It basically said, um, she's amazing, she's so kind and she's so uh, polite and friendly. I just hope that um, she's looked after because the life of a childhood star could be a minefield. Yeah. Um, and she sort of said that at the time. Um, and then, of course, what, what kind of goes on to happen happens. Um, but everyone, Elaine Elaine Hendricks, who played Meredith, um, Lisa Ann Walter, who played Chessie, they all said what a delight she was to work with, how good her energy was, how sort of confident and kind she was and how polite she was. And I think that when you look through her kind of, I guess, her filmography and you, you go through everything that she does um, before and after that film, you can kind of see where things... So this is her break in 1998. She mm. has um, Herbie, Mean Girls, Freaky Friday, Just My Luck. She she had a amazing kind mm. of rise and I just don't think, as we were saying before, I just don't think there's any way you can be prepared for the level of money, sort of the the material wealth that comes with absolutely everything that you do, the the fact that you're suddenly every single place that you go, everyone knows who you are and is blowing smoke up your ass. And suddenly it's impossible to decipher between who is your friend and who is leeching off you and who you can trust and who you can rely on because suddenly everyone's selling stories about you or your phone's mm. being tapped or you're being followed every single place that you go and people who you thought you could rely on and trust you suddenly can't. I just think now when you look at it, the way she was treated, it kind of, it's just, like you said, it's the same as so many others. But I think if, if we actually judged it, now when we look back at it, I think people have got a lot to answer for. Because oh, big time. Her, big time. Her, her mental health struggles and the way that she went through a, probably a 10 to 15 year period in her life is was not her fault. Like it, I'm, no. I'm, she can take responsibility for it, I'm sure, but it's not. It's just not right that she should. That level of external pressure would do that to anyone and I, I just think it's totally wrong that she had that experience yeah I think ultimately the child stars of that generation have hopefully paved the way for more safeguarding of child stars now um, where there's better systems in place you'd like to think even so though in, a, in another way social media has almost made things even worse so yeah. I think there's other challenges yeah. now for young people I think um, it's very hard to escape from the trolling and bullying like back in those days you were being trolled by the media but now you could be trolled by thousands and thousands of people on the internet and so it's, it's all kind of evolved but I'd like to think that nowadays there's probably a little bit better safeguarding in place for child actors yeah and you, you would hope that it I mean, I mean, probably will happen again I mean you look at someone like Justin Bieber for example who exploded incredibly quickly mm. and then suddenly he was in and out of well, he was there was mugshots of him, wasn't there? Yeah. Committing crimes and things like that. And you think it, this is not happening by accident. 
it's not happening it's not happening over and over again to child stars just on the random it's happening because of a concerted way of behaving by people around them that lead to this rise and fall very very quickly and i just think when you're 18 19 20 like you you haven't got a clue what's going on in the world you know let alone when you're 11 or 12 no like she was literally well i think she was just 11 when she was doing this so it's just it's impossible absolutely impossible to know what to do with with yourself when you get that level of attention yeah propelled Um, into stardom because that was her breakout role and then it was so successful and so huge and instantly she became a household name that's got to be very intense and then obviously like you say there were all these films like mean girls freaky friday whatever so she suddenly became like you know the teen actor that everyone talked about but you, you, I mean, the thing is that we we also you know, do, when we talk about how complicit the media and such are in this, you know, you've even got to think about think about the Olsen twins when mm. there was like a countdown clock to them being old enough to have sex with and stuff. You think, yeah. what the fuck were people doing Pe- in those well, days, man? People were still doing where, that where with where Stranger was the Things. People were doing that with Stranger Things, you know, with M- Millie Bobby with Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. You know, yeah. like it hasn't changed that much. It's it's really quite odd. And people, yeah, people just do that gross stuff. But I remember that, um, obviously, I, you know, not to be like reverse misogynistic, but I feel like people get away with it more when they're talking about boys than talking about girls. I think like, I remember people used to make really weird comments about like Romeo Beckham when he was modeling um, and he was about seven or eight and they were like talking about how handsome he was and and like how he'd be like so hot when he's older and stuff. It's a bit like, okay, but right now he's seven or eight. Let's just shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, let's just not be weird. Yeah, like, let's not <laughs> make he's this. a child. He's a literal child. I, I am the, 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 I don't know if I'm just being sort of crazy biased here but she is amazing in this right oh like, yeah she's genuinely like incredible for unbelievable a child actor. she's Un- fantastic but it's, 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 a lot of the way a lot of the the, the, the time you find it's like it, these child stars who are so incredible um, are quite often the ones that end up going off the rails you know maybe because of their genius they're more susceptible to the taunts, the bullying. The, do you know what I mean? Like sensitive people who are more attuned to things, to life, to whatever. Maybe maybe they <clears> find <throat> things more affecting. Because another example of this is Macaulay Culkin. <clears throat> like what, what what's, you know, it's, it's just so easily accepted. You know, we talk about, in a footballing sense, we talk about like the brilliance of a player like Lionel Messi being so normalised. Like still to this day, when you see something like Home Alone and you think about him as a kid, he was absolutely astonishing. Yeah. He was absolutely brilliant in that, as is Lindsay Lohan in this. And that, that was one of the main takeaways from this film. When Charlotte and I were watching it, we both kept being like, God, she is really... Like, even that... Yeah, we get, it is plummy, and it is a kind of a skewed representation of what British people are and all that type of stuff, whatever. It's mostly for Americans, isn't it? Mm. For that period of time when there wasn't as much of a cultural connect as there is now British television wasn't always all over American television and their idea of what British people were were bowler hats and red telephone boxes and everyone say ooh more tea for the queen kind of thing yeah but Lindsay Lohan her accent it doesn't it doesn't jar no I didn't find like you, you know knowing people or at least knowing people that sound like that from that part of the world it was pretty good her accent was good and not only that, like the fact that she was able to be really 
two clearly distinguished characters. We're talking yeah. about a child actor. She was brilliant. They, like, she was so good. They really were distinctly different, even in the subtleties yeah. and their facial expressions and things. Um, Lindsay Lohan did say that she found it easy to get into the character of Annie more when they put the... Because they're wigs. She has two... Even though, obviously, she's a natural redhead, they they have wigs for Annie and Hallie to maintain consistency. And um, she said that when she put on Annie, she felt like Annie. But, like, even so, like, she... The, just the micro facial expressions and things that mean that whatever hair or whatever, you know, even when they have gotten to the point where they look the same and they've cut their hair and pierced their ears, you can still tell which one's Hallie and which one's Annie. And, you know, because they're doing it so compellingly. And even then to to layer on top of that, acting as <coughs> Hallie playing Annie or Annie playing Hallie, you know, so you're seeing her play that person again, but not quite as well as she played them before because she's, yeah. like, you know, she's layering. It was really complex and really amazingly well done. That's a really good point. It's a really good point. It's so and, uh, true. And particularly the fact that they're doing a lot of it with blue screen as well. Yeah. I watched all the kind of like making of stuff. I really nicked out uh, on see, this one. I, I was really interested to know this, mate, because um, I couldn't really find out whether it was blue screen, green screen, or if it was doing split shots. So it's a mixture of all of the above. So it's okay, blue screen, okay. split shots, and then having a <clears throat> a, a, a body double. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the ones where they shoot over the sh- shoulder, they've got a body double. And apparently there was, over the course of the film, there were six body doubles and they all came to the rap party. So no, they had all, cool. all, all, all six plus Lindsay Lohan. And the, like, the guy who was the editor on the film just said, like, watching these six, seven girls running around looking exactly the same. It was genuinely like that bit <laughs> in the film where you're like, which one is which? That's like, so funny. Which one is the real one? Which is quite good. Um, but the, what was amazing was watching the making of... Um, Given that this was in the nineties, the, the the tech that they're working with was so clunky. Mm, it was yeah. so clunky, and yet when you watch the film back, it's almost seamless. Like yeah, you, you, you don't, don't notice really the things. Notice no, because um, obviously, yeah. So she's looking at um, a body double or whatever to react to, and they. I, I read a thing that said that they'd film the scene, you know, from Annie's perspective or whatever, and then switch to Hallie and she'd have an earpiece in to hear the yeah. recorded dialogue. And I didn't, you know, obviously I'm sure they've covered it, but like, you know, those things, it doesn't, it's seamless. It, it comes together seamlessly. You're not watching it now saying this film's 30, <clears throat> you know, 25 years old and it looks awful. It doesn't. Like it, it really looks pretty good. Like, But can I, can I say on this point, don't you feel that when you, especially Disney movies up until about, you know, I guess the past 10 years, there was always a particular kind of house style and a level of quality that you could expect from a Disney movie, right? Where even if it wasn't your favourite film in the world, and yeah, yeah, even though they're often quite cheesy and whatever, there was always, and we always, you know, you, you can say this of going to Disneyland, Disney World, all the little details, the amount of imagination that goes into it. There was always a level of kind of quality and imagination and scope of idea and the way it was executed that you could always expect from a Disney movie. And it feels like the bigger the brand has got, the more of a kind of, let's be honest, ruthless corporation that it has become, acquiring all these different properties, (laughs) slowly kind of sucking up all the competition in Hollywood. It feels like really that has been to the detriment of of Disney's properties because all, yeah. all you tend to see yeah. now is criticism of the visual effects, the amount of pressure that's put on the people working there. I mean, in, in saying that, um, Tim Burton has been particularly scathing of them. You know, maybe I am doing a, a, a 
you know, a, a rose-tinted spectacles on this because I do remember reading a biography of Tim Burton who, interestingly enough, actually started off as a cell illustrator mm-hmm. um, at Disney. That was one of his first careers with, within the industry. And I want to say, I want to say he was working on The Lion King mm-hmm. um, and he complained about the working conditions even then, said that the, the amount of shifts they were, the length of shifts, the amount of time and the amount of cells they were had to do in such a short amount of time was just ruthless. But, you know, I don't know. It, 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 it yeah. makes me come back, though, to the point that you you made earlier on, Jack, about how, um, how what an amazing turn this is from Lindsay Lohan because she's actually kind of dealing with all of these little things you know she's she she's able to deliver that level of quality mm. against this backdrop at this time you know and she probably just didn't have any idea you know she probably didn't have any idea of all of the challenges that she, she would have been that she would have been facing or that the, 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 the production would have been facing or the tech challenges that they would have would have faced at the time um and and like you said even though i, I guess even though there would have been changed at the time, I always remember Disney did feel like it was a, it was almost like a, a seal of quality. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It was almost like you rubber stamped. It was, it was a Disney film. So it was going to be good. Yeah. And I know we've spoken on the pod before about, um, about how now a lot of the CGI companies are basically sort of trying to price themselves into work and then not having the capacity to actually deliver that work to the standard that they say that they're going to just to win a contract and so that mm. the entire industry is being squeezed. You can tell with this, it was it was painstaking both for the editors and the, the CGI designers, but also for the people that were working on the film. So the, the cast all said it was amazing fun, but every single thing that they did was set up three times. So one for Annie, one for Hallie, and then one for the wide shots that they were then going to have to do two times to get both sort of sides of the split frame that they're going to use. Right. So it was it was probably an absolutely brutal shoot in terms of the amount of shooting, but I think it does just come back to just how good Lindsay Lohan is. And and to come back to your point earlier on again, Jack, you know you were sort of saying like what a natural talent she was and, and how maybe that could have contributed to her downfall. I think that probably is, is bang on the money because all of the interviews that I've seen just say that she just didn't do all of the things that first time actors who are more grown up do you know never looks down the lens never finds herself sort of getting lost within scenes always knows her positions always knows her marks and stuff that if you're someone who does that naturally when you then realize that it's coming to you so easily and that you don't even need to try you're just gifted and blessed with this thing eventually you just get to a point I imagine where you just go what next? Like I can mm. do this. I'm literally doing a job that the 0.001% of people do that everyone would dream of doing. And I can do it in my sleep. Mm. You know, it, it would be easy to, to fall up after that. Sorry to, to, to take it back to Lindsay Lohan. But, um, <laughs> no, no, it's still relevant. Isn't it? it's still relevant. Um, one other thing that jumped out at me, soundtrack on this film. Oh my God, I it's top notch. Top notch. Banger yeah. after banger after banger. What is yeah. the, what's the winner for you guys? What's the, the song that you always think about when you come back to this film? 
This will be an everlasting love, surely. No, it's like, it's L O V E at the beginning, like for me oh, anyway. No, for, for me, like, it's there she goes, by the love. Oh, uh, really? I mean, there we go. that's yeah. so incredible that all three of us have a different one. Yeah, no, so I just, to be honest, most of those do place me back at that film. And my sister, not to bring up my sister again, but she used a lot of them in her wedding um, playlist because oh, she really? loves that film so much, loves the soundtrack, and it was quite amusing. But um, Hi, Lizzie, if you're watching, but, you better be, uh, or listening. She will yeah. because it's about the parent trap. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. Not because, um, not because you're on. <laughs> no, no, that's irrelevant. But... No, there's, the soundtrack's brilliant and it's a really fun mix of great song choices and kind of a score. You know, there's a lot of like yeah. the the tunes that carry you through the different moments, the more mischievous moments or, you know, various things that are going on. There is a distinct score for The Parent Trap. It's unique to The Parent Trap, but then they throw in loads of really good songs on top. Can, can I just say, can I, can I raise one point here? Flag the fact away. that they have here comes the sun in there but it's not even like a cover it's like well it is a it's it is literally a cover but what i mean is it's like there's been no attempt to like make that version of here comes the sun different from the beatles and it feels like somebody trying to mimic the beatles is that disney saying they couldn't they weren't gonna pay the beatles estate to get the original in there probably i wondered that because everything else is is seems like it's, it's got nat king cole it's got like the Lars in there, obviously not the Beatles, but um, it's got everything else. But they also was... recreate the Abbey Road shot, you know, even with the cars are lined yeah. up essentially exactly how they were, and they cross the zebra, the exact zebra crossing, the Abbey Road zebra crossing. Um, uh, Hallie, I was going to say Annie, but it's Hallie and her mum um, cross that crossing. And uh, so, yeah, there was obviously, and that's obviously because they're stage setting. They're saying, we're in London, the Beatles, la la la. (laughs) Like, yeah, sure. But yeah, it's kind of funny how they paid that much attention to the Beatles, but then didn't use the Beatles version. But I'm guessing the Beatles tried to rip them off. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to find out right now um, what version it was. Mm, And I'm not getting, I'm not getting a conclusive answer on this i like it though it's like oh i love it it's like a softer to be honest with you because i watched that film as a child in a way i'm more familiar that's with the that original. yeah it's the, that's the original <laughs> yeah exactly like the, there's i'll grow up no i'm just grow saying up. like there's it's just no obviously it's not i'm just saying there's something soft you, and nice about it and I yes it's it is the version i would have heard first probably like i don't think i was totally. i don't think i was like listening to the beatles age eight or nine so you know yeah 100 uh, i know exactly so, yeah. what you mean by that it is an amazing soundtrack. It is, it's so good. I'm looking at it again now. It's just, there are so many good songs on here. And w- even when um, they have Bad to the Bone playing, when she comes oh, in yeah. for the poker scene, they have Never That's Let You good. Go playing, where they're doing the, the kind of, um, the, the where she goes to her mum's studio and they're taking pictures, yeah. which is really, really good. Um, Do You Believe in Magic as well, when they're doing the handshake and getting to know yeah. each other. We're like in up in the the isolation cabin, mm-hmm. which is obviously amazing as well. When Janice from Friends sends her to the isolation cabin with that weird wagging of her finger, yeah, that I she just does. did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Marva Junior's funny little the Marvas, yeah, amazing. Marva, so good. Marva, and Marva. What a name! What we should bring that? back Marva. Yeah, what's a Marva? Well, yeah, well, I mean, who, who, I've never heard of another one. Because I lost the 90s. yeah, I sort of picked up on that kind of late in my million watchings of the parent trap is that they're Marva and Marva Jr. Like I didn't really make that mother daughter connection for actually quite a while. 
um, the two the two camp leaders. I just kind of didn't really, it went over my head or I wasn't really that focused on it. Because when they said Marvis before, I used to think it was like Marvis was her name. And then I was like, no, it's Marvis, <laughs> plural, like more than one Marva. <laughs> I thought that as well. I, got, I'd like, I I wondered why they said it like that, yeah. not with an apostrophe. Um, but it also, didn't it just make you want to shout the, oh my God, when exactly, she comes on screen of, of Janice from Friends, obviously. And <laughs> she, uh, go on, go on, John. Well, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, ironically, like, I'm wondering whether actually I probably saw this in the in the first place anyway before Friends, probably around the same time. But like probably, I definitely the, on first watching didn't make that connection. It's only much later when I was watching. I was like, oh my god, it's Janice. That's so funny. Yeah, that was mental, absolutely mental when it kind of like dawns on you. I know she looks so young as well. Um, who's uh, should we do MVPs then? Who's your winners? It's definitely got to be Lindsay, but there's yeah, so many brilliant, brilliant characters that are bringing so much to it. Meredith's amazing. Chessie is so, so funny. Martin is utterly hilarious. And their chemistry was brilliant. Like, just so funny. I love all of it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's heartwarming for me to know that, like, the actresses who play Meredith and Chessie are, like, good friends at the moment. But also, I don't know if you saw it, it was very amusing. Um... Dennis Quaid recently got engaged <laughs> to a 26-year-old, which is obviously how old, how old Meredith was in the film. And it was controversial back then, you know, a bit of an eyebrow raiser. That's the whole plot of the film. Oh, but um, but then the, what's her name? Elaine Hendricks, who plays Meredith, um, sort of tweeted, watch out for those twins, like in, re- in response to the news or whatever. And it was just like a funny joke. But it quite amused that me that like amazing. 25 years later... <laughs> got engaged that is for 26 so year old good can so i make the good. point at, at this point as well dennis quaid a poundland harrison ford <laughs> yeah really mm. is really is isn't he like really is. yeah definitely it's definitely that kind he of even sounds a bit like yeah, him, right it's like, definitely that kind of rugged yeah harrison ford maybe like robert redford type you know all-american hunk but yeah, yeah he's definitely not quite harrison ford but yeah i would agree with that poundland harrison ford it is it's, it's the film that comes up on his kind of IMDb or his Google as like the, mm. the number one for him, uh, swiftly followed by A Dog's Purpose, The Day After Tomorrow, The Rookie and Jaws 3. So <laughs> not, I mean, Poundland Harrison Ford might actually be bang on the money yeah, for that. Big time, yeah. Like, he doesn't, I didn't realise that he'd had such a specifically sort of average, I yeah. just naturally assumed because he was in The Parent Trap, he must have had an amazing career. But that, I think that's my rose-tinted lens for the parent trap speaking. I, I, I would say, though, at this point, like, I would still definitely mm. have <laughs> the, the life and, like, the handsome, rugged, good looks of Dennis Quaid <laughs> yeah. any day of the week. So, you know, definitely. he's doing all right. He's doing all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, life as Dennis Quaid is not that bad, I'm sure. Probably not awful. He's done okay. And this this is wife number one, two, three, four, four. So Bloody hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, can't uh, keep I, it in his pants, can he? <laughs> <laughs> um, fine wine or war crime? What are we thinking? Oh well, I mean, I think you'd do things a little differently if you filmed it now. I think the glaring one is diversity. I think like um, there's hardly any actors of color, even in the wider, like even in the, amongst the camp, their friends, any like. But I mean, maybe it was tricky in the sense of obviously you've cast Lindsay. She's white. Her parents are going to be white. Um, and then you can't exactly just have the the butler and Chessie as the black people. It might 
make a wider and kind of different point than you were making. So maybe there was a bit of a conundrum, but also diversity was maybe not top of the agenda back then. It wasn't something people were really considering. I think that being said, I think overall the film has aged very well. I think it's great and it's a classic and obviously it's, it's fantastical. It's not, it's not rooted in reality, but it's a lot of fun. And I, I don't think you watch it now and think anything in particular, it's not particularly misogynistic or anything like that. I think the only thing that I would say that it doesn't it doesn't make doesn't make me sting a bit, um, but it, I, I think it's definitely a talking point because it is something that Sally Field and Robin Williams were particularly passionate about when making um, Mrs. Doubtfire, where the filmmakers of Mrs. Doubtfire originally wanted Miranda and Daniel to get back together at the end, and the two of them, um, like I say, Sally Field and Robin Williams, were vehement that that shouldn't happen. Mm. That that sells. That that you're you're making a movie for children and you're playing with their heartstrings. You're 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 really, you know, the the, the chances of your parents getting back together once they've gotten divorced are slim to none. Um, mm. And giving children that type of hope is pretty brutal. It's almost cruel. Um, and so it is Disney. They are selling people the dream. They are selling people a fantasy. But it probably is worth bearing in mind that their target audience is children and there will be a lot of children who come from homes where their parents are divorced and watching a film where everything gets tied up with a neat bow at the end, happily ever after mum and dad get back together is maybe slightly dodgy territory, you know? I know what you mean. And I, I like the choice made, even though it's a different choice to the parent trap. I like the choice of them not getting back together in Mrs. Doubtfire. I uh, think it's quite nice the way it all ends. It ends kind of, at a peaceful place between the two of them, they've kind of reconciled. It's not explosive. It's kind of a nice thing. Whereas in The Parent Trap, obviously they get back together. It's more of a love story. It's kind of romantic and stuff. Rather than it being a family story necessarily, it's like a reconnection of their love story. But it seems like in this, that they're sort of making the point that they were young and rushed into getting married. Because they, because <laughs> they, um, they met and got married on this cruise. So they're saying they totally rushed into getting married, got knocked up with twins, and then very quickly it seems like they ended their relationship and split up and moved to different continents. So I think kind of the point they were sort of making is like they've kind of grown older and wiser and maybe less proud or whatever, and they've kind of like revisited the spark that was there I yeah I know what you mean but I, I don't think they're necessarily like over promising for children again it's like a super unrealistic plot like that you would mm. not even have any level of custody or aware of awareness of the existence of your own sibling because your parents are that determined not to see each other <laughs> ever again well, yeah this I mean so obviously it's incredibly fantastical like you said Sharon it's it's very sort of it, it's just rooted in the idea of like warm, fuzzy optimism. Yeah. Um, one thing I will just chuck into this section, I don't know whether this constitutes far minor war crime, but did you guys ever watch the documentary Three Identical Strangers where this actually happened? Oh, my God, no. Oh, God, no. So there's a documentary called Three Identical Strangers and it's about triplets that were separated at birth and not God. told what happened. It is so worth a watch if you <sighs> have a chance. Um, because it does not end up like Annie and Hallie. Um, <laughs> it, 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 and, and like uh, Christina sort of brought that with me and I thought, my word, like this this version of events and this lens that we've watched it through is, is 
is is maybe in the in the possible world scenario this is world one of a thousand the other 999 uh goes very very differently of course but, um, and, and but that's all, that's the that's all the beauty of of suspending reality in these great 90s films i mean like look at home alone like the reality of a little boy being left at home alone would not be okay here's what you do go to the hardware store and get all manner of like highly dangerous materials and set up booby traps all around your house basically destroy your own home but you know save the day it's like it's <laughs> it's not rooted in reality but that's kind of the fun isn't it it doesn't I, have to be i, I saw uh, a, a good comment i saw about home alone the other day is the most unrealistic thing about the film is how tidy he gets the house by the end of yeah. it <laughs> yeah come off it yeah, Except for good. Buzz's room, clearly. What did you do yeah. in my room? Oh, uh, I, can't, yeah. I can't wait to do that one. I can't wait to do that one. Yeah, um, when are you guys starting on your Christmas Christmas well, movies? Well, that, that's it. Ne- like next week, mm-hmm. we're into Christmas season. Can't lie, I'm so excited to do it. We're, is there anything that we haven't said on Parent Trap? I feel like well, that's. We've got to do our ratings. We forgot to do the ratings for Fight Club, you know? I was, I was listening back to that, like, <gasps> we didn't do the ratings. Mm, what up. was it? Go on. Parent We're letting our ratings. standards slip. So, anyone want to take a guess? What IMDb notoriously hard to please. I mean, I think even The Godfather was like 8.6 or something like that. So, anyone care to guess what the parent trap might be on IMDb? 7.2. No, lower than that. No, come on. Yeah, 6.6. 6.6 on, uh, on IMDb. Yeah, it's quite brutal. Let's have a look at Rotten Tomatoes Tomatoes. The Parent Trap. Um, we have on there, from from the critics, it's a certified fresh 87%. Um, 70% audience score, which is, which is strange. That's a weird one. It's all the divorced around. ones, the children of divorce. They're like... Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> They're like, dislike. Um, and let's also just do a quick... Metacritic... Uh, have a look. This always makes for good listening. Um, sixty-four <laughs> percent on Metacritic. It's not, it's Another not one. Hugely yeah. popular film with the critics, is it? But the thing is, no, like, it's, it's funny. Like I said at the top, well, I don't think it necessarily is like a film deserving of immense critical acclaim. I just think it's a lot of fun, and because it's very much my era, and you know, I grew up watching it. I have a lot of affection for it. It doesn't mean I think it's like, you know. De- deserving of all the accolades or like really you know do, do you want to know what the chicago reader had to say about the parent trap what go on this 1998 romantic comedy mostly bores with its cumbersome exposition <sighs> and on. close-ups of trivial objects scattered throughout lackluster montage sequences ah get live, out of here live a little chicago reader yeah. the austin chronicle the austin chronicle vanilla and sweet it's an overly generous helping that if it doesn't make you sick, will put you in good humour all day long. I'd, yeah, I'm just, I, I'll come back to the same point. The fact that I can sit with my parents, Jen, or my niece and nephew who are 10 years old and they absolutely love it still. And it, they don't feel like it's too aged. No. That's, a, that's part of the reason why it's a bit of a fine wine for me because if they can still watch it and not feel... Oh, this is unrealistic, or I can't watch this. It, it just, it for me, it ticked enough boxes that it's perfectly fine, you know. Yeah, it's great fun. I think that's ultimately <clears throat> it for me. It's not. It's not that I think it's the best film of all time. I just think it's a lot of fun. 
yeah definitely i think w- w- one thing before we do just completely leave it as well probably just a little moment to uh remember natasha richardson oh, you know, yeah, really yeah. really tragic loss that you, you kind of hit us didn't it halfway through watching it shy you suddenly like oh yeah god that you know yeah just terrible so awful. sad i know it's and that's an awful thing to say but she just so absolutely beautiful as well so beautiful you, and just, you can just like you know you can just see when somebody's really kind do you know what i mean you can just yeah you don't have to know yeah. them to know they're kind you know like she just kind seems face. yeah she just seems so lovely yeah heartbreaking really awful and obviously she was married to liam neeson wasn't she yeah it's such a sad story as well just yeah and, and she was fab in this and i thought just the perfect mum as well yeah you know the mum fit like when she's like my mum is too cool it was like that that again it's that skewed lens that's that very rose tinted mm. what would it be to if you came over from america and you were going to london to find your mum working there what is the coolest thing that your mum could be for an 11 year old girl and the thing you is know, you know she's like she's, she's ironically extremely not cool like she's someone who <laughs> is yeah. you know she gets extremely flustered and and in a tiz um, a lot in the film and stuff. And, uh, you know, she's she's obviously beautiful and she has a wonderful job and she looks the part, but, like, she's not cool by sort of any metric, no, really. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, right, that was an absolute joy. I loved watching Parent Trap Back. Thanks mm. so much for picking it, Sean. I mean, come on, it's a bit, I think right. we needed that, mate, after a month oh of horror films. And, you know. Yeah, you forget, I have to watch them too. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just something fun. And thanks for stomaching all of the... the like how many we've done some really gritty dark ones over the last few weeks as well if it's not yeah. fight club well, are, you, are you talking about my toilet time again mm. then, <laughs> yeah he has can confirm but no uh, it's uh, <laughs> no it's yeah it's great yeah. to do them too and you know I love all genres really like I've got time for them but then just sometimes you need a bit of a palate cleanser of something just a bit yeah. harmless fun warm furry and funny but then again you're going um, straight yes exactly and but you're going into um christmas so you'll have plenty of yeah, that so hopefully it's kind of like candy floss season now everything should be upbeat but t- jack bring the bring the music down tell us what we're doing next week <laughs> well I, I i've already said this one but I, so i'll let you lead on this one mate go on do you want me okay so i text jack today being like do you think we should do one final um sort of big film before we go into Christmas season and he's like I think it's probably too late because with the next episode of the pod will be on the 4th of December I think mm. which is very much in the, the thick of we're building up to Christmas so what about Die Hard and I thought that is bang mm-hmm. on the money Good fringe because one. there's a but exactly a, a big discussion to be had as to whether it's a Christmas film lots of people have it as one of the greatest Christmas films of all time but it's also just an all time classic film it's yeah. just an absolute beast I don't know we haven't done Bruce Willis yet have we? no I don't oh, think Pulp so Pulp Fiction Pulp Fiction yeah, oh, so that's course, the only, yeah. maybe the only other one that we've done with him so next week bit of Die Hard to kick off the Christmas season quick, just while we're talking about fringe films quick, quick one I want to throw to you two Nightmare Before Christmas. I knew you were going to say ha- that. Halloween yeah. film or Christmas film? For me, it's firmly a Halloween film. Like, I do not like it when oh, people really? say it's a Christmas film. Yeah, I'm like, it's not. It's it's dark and scary. And yeah, of course, Father Christmas features in it. But it's it's about them, I don't know, like co-opting Christmas in this 
dark and malevolent way i i'm like not in the zone for that at christmas time i for me the nightmare before christmas is great to watch in november because <laughs> then you can get that, that, you can hit both notes you can be like it's a bit halloweeny it's a bit christmasy but like when i'm in christmas mode i do not want something like that it's not it yeah i'm like i i i think it's a christmas film but i would never watch it at christmas no. and it's like lock the dvd in the freezer type thing <laughs> yeah like keep it as far away as possible like when if you no were if you were all sat on the sofa like let's watch a christmas film like that would not be an acceptable choice no the night before, you'd be like, no we're not watching that <laughs> it's it's elf is home alone yeah. love actually jingle all the like, way because it's, it's die hard so there we go yeah I, I believe just out of in, just an interesting one. I believe this year, twentieth anniversary of Love Actually, twentieth anniversary of Elf, and thirtieth anniversary of Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow! So, oh something gosh. in the water. Something wow. in the water. Wow! Can't wait to get into them. Thanks so much for joining, Charles. What a pleasure. No, thanks for having me and my cough. Sorry, I've tried to keep it at bay. but um... Yeah, I, I've been trying to do the same. We're both splattering. <laughs> Just a quick reminder, we're at BYOB Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And drop us a, a rating and review on the podcast if you're enjoying it. Thanks so much to everyone that's done so far. But if you can, it'll take two seconds and we'd very much appreciate it. Thanks like so much subscribe. for listening. Bye. <laughs>